Good evening, everyone. And this evening we will discuss Srila Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha, the second of his six Sandarbhas, dealing with Bhagavan, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Uh, this Sandarbha has a little over a hundred Anuchedas, and Anucheda is a section, and a section deals with a philosophical point. So, Jiva Goswami makes a presentation of a philosophical point, and he generally, well, he always substantiates everything in his Sandarbhas with evidence, Praman. And as explained in his first Sandarbha, the Tattva Sandarbha, his primary Praman, the primary evidence he uses to to drive home the philosophical points that he's making is the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the topmost Purana. It's the mature commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, which is the mature commentary on the Vedas. The Bhagavat Purana is dealing primarily with giving the spiritual student an understanding of Bhagavan, what is God, what is his nature. As we know from our earlier studies, from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Srila Jiva Goswami has drawn out one particular verse, Vedanti tat tatva vidas tatva myas janamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. And he uses this one verse, if you look at his Sandarbha, the whole Sandarbha, six Sandarbhas, this one verse is basically what is purported in six Sandarbhas. So that supreme, non-dual, absolute can be understood variously, either as Brahman, as Paramatma, or as Bhagavan. We can't really say much about Brahman because it has no characteristics. It's just the all-pervasive Brahman. So it's everywhere and it it has no real qualities because the second we, we give a quality to Brahman, then, then it becomes qualified like material nature and that's not spiritual in the concept of Brahman that we commonly know as Mayavad. Now there's a proper conception of Brahman, but for the purposes of his presentation, Srila Jiva Goswami basically accepts the very broad definition of Brahman as that all-encompassing spiritual reality, which can't really be described. It's everywhere, but it has no specific characteristics. It's just all incumbency. So we do not find a Brahman Sandarbha. We go directly to the Bhagavat Sandarbha. Included in Brahman, of course, is the Supreme's effulgence, that energy that emanates from him, that non-distinctive energy, all-encompassing energy, which we consider Brahman, but it is actually... It is the Lord Himself. So, Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Sabjate. So, Jiva Goswami begins with the 
Bhagavat Sandarbha explaining Bhagavan. And then he goes on to the Paramatma Sandarbha. And then he gives us the sweetness of the Krishna Sandarbha. And from there he goes into, well, now you know the object and you know the interrelationship. You have some knowledge of Sambandha Gyan. So now let me tell you Abhideya. How do you practice spiritual life? And then we have, of course, the Bhakti Sandarbha. And then he finishes up this whole treatise on spiritual life by providing the Preeti Sandarbha, which is the goal. How do you love that supreme personality in whatever form you were, you're attracted to? Brahmati, Paravatmati, Bhagavan Iti Sabjate. Of course, once we get to the to the Bhakti Sandarbha, uh, the practice and the Preeti Sandarbha, by then we he is hoped that he is convinced his readership of the fact that you want Krishna, you want Bhagavan. Second Sandarbha, Bhagavat Sandarbha is introducing us to how do you understand the nature of God? What is, what's he all about? What, what, is his, what are his characteristics? And as I said, it, it's a little over a hundred Anuchedas and we're about a third of, the, third of the way into it. We're at the 31st Anucheda. A short description for this Anucheda would be Bhagavan's body is all pervading. What's the sambanda? What's the philosophical point that Jiva Goswami is making here? Sri Sukha is delineating the Lord's all-pervading aspect as follows. This is directly from his Sandarbha. Because the concept of a person existing beyond time and space is very difficult for one to grasp. We have no experience of somebody beyond time and space. We've never been there. We've never done that, so we don't know what that's like. So it's difficult for us to wrap our mind around a supreme personality who's beyond time and beyond any limitations, because it's hard for us to grasp on account of our deep-seated material conditioning. Srila Jiva Goswami spends considerable time explaining it from various angles. So we're going. We're in a stage of, in a, in a part of the Sandarbhas, a stage of our study of the Sandarbhas, where Jiva is really driving home the point of what do we mean by Bhagavan. It's not just strength, wealth, beauty, knowledge, fame, renunciation. It's all that, but it's much more, and. How do we understand that nuanced personality? What his character is really like and what his, what his qualities are like and what his interactions are like. This section is just to introduce us to the topic which will continue up to Anucheta 42. What's the topic? That a personality can exist beyond all time and space. So from different angles, we're going to approach this. In this evening's Anucheda, 
what Jiva Goswami wants to show us in this Anucheta is that the Lord exists everywhere in his personal form and not simply through his energies. So he does that by, he begins enlightening us by using as his evidence these two verses from the ninth chapter of the tenth canto. And this is Yasoda's binding of the child Krishna. So what we're going to find as we go through this Anucheda is an explanation of all these contradictory words. And what you're going to come away from in this evening's discourse is how enlightened is Sukadev Goswami to compose a verse like this. It's amazing. All that he's put in these two verses. So a translation, a simple English translation. Thinking Krishna to be her own son, the cowherd woman, Yasoda, bound him to a mortar with a rope like an ordinary child. He who has neither inside nor outside, neither front nor back, who exists in front of the cosmos and behind it, who is both within and without it, who indeed is himself the cosmos, and who, though unmanifest and beyond sense perception, had still appeared as a human being. We're trying to come to the conclusion that the Lord exists everywhere in his personal form, and not simply through his energies. Jiva Goswami begins by quoting the great commentator on the Srimad Bhagavatam, which he refers to again and again, Sridhar Swami. So he's going to give us Sridhar Swami's tika, his commentary on this verse. So Jiva Goswami writes, quoting Sridhar Swami, Tying an object requires encircling it completely with a rope. This can be done only with objects that have a beginning and an end. By holding the rope at one end and bringing it around the object to be bound and then binding it to the other end. To show that this is not possible in the case of the Lord, Sukadev says, quote, He who has neither inside nor outside, neither front nor back. Moreover, only a tie that extends beyond the length of another object can bind it. To show that, in Krishna's case, it is just the opposite, Sukadev Goswami says, He who exists in front of the cosmos and behind it, who is both in within and without it. Furthermore, to show that Krishna cannot be bound, since nothing exists without him, Sukha says, he who indeed is himself the cosmos, yet Yasoda bound him, who, though appearing human, is beyond the reach of the senses, thinking him to be her son. So there's a lot to unpack here. And uh, we're going to try to uh, unpack a little bit of it. What I came away from in preparing this discourse was we can begin to see the genius, just have a glimpse of the genius 
of an Acharya like Sukadev Goswami. He's speaking to Maharaj Pariksit. He's speaking Sanskrit. He's, sp he's basically singing the Bhagavatam to him. He's composing these verses as he answers the inquiries of Maharaj Pariksit. He's answering perfectly the question that's being presented and he's presenting a depth of transcendent knowledge which is so broad and so deep that for ourselves, just like Jiva Goswami, as I said in the beginning, is giving us the Sandarbhas, hundreds of Anuchetas to explain one verse, Varanti Tat Tat Vavidas, that one verse, of Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Subjate. You can experience the Supreme Absolute. You can have revelation of Him, personal revelation of Him, in accordance with your mode of worship. That's, that's God. He's that open. However you want to approach Him, He's going to reciprocate accordingly. The cosmos is not different from him, being his energy. How then could it be possible to bind him with a rope, which is nothing more than a portion of a portion of his energies? The flame can never burn the source fire. So how can you have a rope bind that which is the source of the rope, which is unlimited? We cannot say, as devotees of Krishna, as Vaishnavas, we cannot say from our perspective on, the, on all of the Shastras, all the Vedic knowledge, that Krishna was not bound. Krishna was bound. He was present and he was bound. So the unlimited that's everywhere, you cannot say it's just a mass of unlimited energies Krishna actually was there and was bound. The whole cosmos was wrapped up with a rope of Mother Yasoda. Let's go on. One may then wonder, if he does have a human form, how can he be all-pervading? In answer, Sukha says, he is beyond sense perception, a doksija. Now, as we go forward through this, you can just look. You will find all these words that we're going to kind of give a little purport to as we go forward are in this verse. How can he have a human form? He's beyond sense perception. A doxija. Knowledge derived from sense perception is useless. This also explains the word of yakta unmanifest, imperceptibility to the material senses. Ata Shri Krishna Namadi Nabhavedgraham Indriya Sevan Mukhi He Jivadao The material <laughs> senses, the Indriyas, cannot perceive the Supreme. Well, we're seeing the Supreme. But how are we seeing the Supreme? We're saying we have material senses. I'm seeing God right now. But what are we seeing? We're seeing a representation of the Supreme Lord who is the Supreme Lord by the grace 
of the guru who's invited him to be spiritually present before us. So that's, that's incomprehensible to the material intellect, is it not? That you have a form that appears to be marble, but it's no longer marble. It's, it's, so it's, that's what we mean by adoksija. Why was his all-pervading aspect not apparent to Yasoda? Why couldn't she pick up on the fact that he's everywhere? Why would she even attempt to wrap him up with a rope? Answer. Thinking Krishna to be her son, Atmajam Matva, with a human form, Marcha Linga, this is the nature of Prem Ras, Vatsalya, which covers knowledge. So her knowledge, her Vedic knowledge was covered over by her relationship with Krishna, of Vatsalya. This inability to have knowledge of Krishna's all-pervasiveness, etc., is an anubhav, external manifestation of inner ecstasy. Loving relationship with the Supreme overpowered her knowledge of the Supreme. That's an anubhav. It's an external manifestation of her ecstasy. It covered her intelligence. It was manifest outside of her self to cover her intelligence. The very love that allowed her to bind Krishna with the rope. Srila Sukadeva Goswami later glorifies Yasoda's love. Later in the same chapter, Sukadeva said, Not Brahma, not Shiva, nor even Lakshmi, whose abode is on the Lord's chest, obtained from Krishna, the bestower of liberation, mercy such as that which Mother Yasoda received. So we'll go on. The phrase, like an ordinary mortal, prakritam yatha, and beyond sense perception, adoksaja, refute any possibility that in spite of being all-pervading in reality, he may have appeared as a human being by the agency of maya or illusion. Because somebody would naturally think, well, there's a little boy here who says he's, he's God, so he had to take a material form. But no, that's, that's not the proper Vaishnava understanding. We went over this in the last class, that some sages would say, well, he's a little boy. But how do we take such a statement? We don't take it in its literal sense. We don't take it literally. We take it in the Vaishnava sense of the fact that this is a manifestation of the Supreme Lord. He's appearing in this form. But he is not, he is and he isn't this form. So we should never think Krishna took a human body is basically what's being brought out by these words, prakritam yatha. It's like an ordinary, he's like an ordinary mortal, but he isn't. That's what these two words mean. Prakritim yatha. And he's beyond sense perception. We can't perceive the fact that he, the Supreme, can be like a human being. 
but we accept him as, we see him as a human being. The feature of being limited and that of being all-pervasive ex- both exist in him simultaneously, mutually, mutually conflicting potencies. Now this is a point in a prior section, a prior Anuchaita, that Srila Jiva Goswami's driven home for us with other evidence, right? That within the Supreme, there's unlimited potencies and they can conflict with each other, but there's still, that's, that's un, again, it's un, unimaginable, but it happens. He has a potency that creates the whole material manifestation and that's within himself. And he has a potency within him that destroys the whole manifestation. Those are mutually conflicting. He has a potency that binds the jiva, his part and parcel, within his material energy. And he has a potency, a shakti, that liberates the jiva. They conflict. It's a struggle. Maya is trying to keep us here. And the sarup shakti, Krishna through the agency, or Radha through her agency, as the guru is trying to extract us from them and liberate us. Various evidences, including Brahma Samhita, Madhvacharya's Vedanta Sutra commentary, Nisringa Tapani Upanishad, and this from the Brahma Purana, speak to this. Now, the Anucheta went on for quite a few pages here because every one of these verses from all of these various sources, all of these very evidences were were given in Jiva Goswami's Anucheta. I just picked out a couple. So, this one is from the Brahma Purana. This is a Sattvic Purana. Or would it be Rajasic? Brahma. Could be either. Brahma's in charge of the mode of passion. This is what's written there. The Lord is neither gross nor atomic. He is the cosmos and yet not the cosmos. He is called Purushatam because he possesses the opulence of opposing characteristics. Then he says in the Gita Upanishad, Krishna says, I pervade this entire cosmos in my unmanifest form. All beings are situated in me, but I am not in them. At the same time, all beings are not situated in me beyond my yogic power. All beings are situated in me, but I am not in them. At the same time, all beings are not situated in me, but I pervade the entire cosmos beyond my yogic power. Behold, you do, you're right, behold my mystic power. Yogic power, yogic opulence. I forget how Prabhupada writes it. When the Lord says in Bhagavad Gita that he pervades the cosmos in his unmanifested form of yakta murti, it means he does so in a form that is beyond the reach of anybody's intelligence. So this answers the the basic point made in the beginning, which was what? That the Lord personally, in his personal form, in his personal energy, pervades everything. 
Let's go to the commentary. So Jiva Goswami first has established the fact that the Supreme Lord's body is not limited or bound by spatial or temporal laws. And we're going to have a hard time comprehending that with our material senses. If a seeker simply admits his limitations in this regard and humbly hears about the absolute truth in the parampara system of authority, he saves himself much wasted effort. So we can hear from authority or we can try to figure out how God's everywhere but localized. Some keys given there. Maybe you should just hear. If we simply hear, then we cannot comprehend logic. It's beyond logic. It's beyond reason. We can't comprehend with logic or reason, but that doesn't mean we can't understand. By spiritual intelligence in good association by those who what? Who have understood. Tadvidi pranipate na pariprashne na sevaya. They've seen the truth. They've seen the truth. Doesn't mean see. It means see with the eye, but that means so much more than that. It means what? What is darshan also means besides having darshan, seeing. Darshan also means having an angle of vision, which corresponds with the Vedic conclusion which corresponds to the Vaishnav conclusion. So having darshan of the truth is more than just seeing. If you look to the fact of seeing God, when does seeing God happen? Well, we can, we can look to Srila Rupa Goswami's verse as expanded by Vishwanath Chakravarti in his commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam. So that verse is Adao Shraddha Tata Sadhu Sangotha Bhajana Kriya. That verse which tells us step by step how does one advance in spiritual life? It begins by faith. Adao Shraddha Tata Sadhu. Faith, then you associate with the sadhus. So you have a little faith and you associate with people that know and have an angle of vision that's that's exciting for you. Oh, I like that angle of vision. Let me let me see if I could get those eyes and see through them. So, da shraddha tata sadhu sangha tha bhajana kriya bhajana kriya. We hang out, we listen, we engage in bhajan. We hear them speak, we speak, we chant, we worship bhajana kriya. And then what? Anartha nivritti. All the misconceptions start to leave. And we've talked about this. Anartha is not giving up a bad habit. It's giving up a bad idea. <laughs> a misconception. That is what the word anartha means. The wrong angle of vision. Accepting something, accepting that someone has, something that has value that has no value. So back to my point. When do we see Krishna? So if we look at this gradual progression, anartha nivritti, nista, ruchi, asakti, bhava, prem, Rupa Goswami ends at prem. Now, in looking at this verse, what Vishwanath says is, well, there's actually two steps at the beginning that Rupa didn't point out. Rupa's verse is perfect because it deals with what the sadhika 
the Sadika's gra gradual path. But before the Sadika can even get on the path, there's two preliminary steps. The two preliminary steps is there, he's graced by the, by the devotee, by the sadhu, and then he somehow or other accepts that grace. So that acceptance of the grace, we call that performing devotional service without any knowledge of doing so. Ajata Sukriti. So we come in contact with the devotee and we do something unbeknownst to ourselves on the mental level. But on the spiritual level it's recognized and from that little bit of unknowing service to the sadhu because he's made himself available to us, we take up the path by his mercy, by his grace, by his blessing, we develop a little faith and then we get into the program of advancing devotional practice. Shraddha, Sadhu, Sangha, Bhajana Kriya, Dartha Nivriti, Nistaruchiya, Sakti, Bhava, Prema. But then at the end, there's two other things that Vishnu Nath and they're out, they've, we've already reached Prem, we love God. Well, then what comes after, what, we love God, we're at Prem. Well, then there's a couple things that come also without our endeavor at the end of the program. We get to taste the sweetness of the Lord. We taste his sweetness. This, everything about him is Amrita, it's unlimitedly sweet. So at the end, we taste. You, it's not an endeavor. It's 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 coming naturally. Krishna is benedicting us with the sound of his flute, with his sweet words, with the sweet fragrance of his body. And then eventually, what do we have? We have the vision of the supreme. Then we can see. Then we see God face-to-face, one-on-one. That's coming. That's, that is what Vishwanath, these two things at the beginning and these two things at the end, give us the full gamut of spiritual life from beginning to very end. And then that vision, you never give up. You're there. So darshan, an angle of vision, a way of seeing, that's that's why we take to the parampara system, so we can have that proper darshan. It's a much easier process than trying to figure out how God's everywhere and how God's in a courtyard being tied up by his mother, and how to wrap your mind around that. I would rather be blessed with an understanding of it in my heart than try to figure it out in my mind, because my mind is going to throw up so many objections. It just doesn't make sense. How God is everywhere, and you're saying he's here? Right there, in that form? That little form? That little boy? Who's crying? That little boy who's stealing? Who's upset because his mother put him down for a moment? Just like any other little boy. You're saying this is God. How do I understand this? 
This is the point that Sukadev's making in these two verses. Try to understand how much how much tattva is in this little explanation. So the two principal verses that form the basis of this Anucheda. The first explains why Mother Yasoda was unable to bind Krishna. The second, how she succeeded. Two verses. How she couldn't do it, but then how she could. Na chantar na bahir yasya. Krishna has neither inside nor outside. That's how the verse, first verse begins. He doesn't have an inside or an outside. He has no inside or outside. How are you going to bind him? What's there to bind? His inside is his outside. It's his, he has neither from our from the from this from the transcendent point of view. So this was substantiated by Rukmini, and we take some more praman, some more evidence to substantiate that he has no inside or outside. She she gave us gives us the following verse. Also in the 10th canto, 60th chapter, how his body is completely transcendental. A woman who has not smelled the fragrance of the nectar of your lotus feet is so foolish that she gives her love to a man who has nothing more, who, who is nothing more than a living corpse, covered by skin, whiskers, body hair, nails, and head hair, and filled with flesh, bones, Blood, worms, feces, phlegm, bile, and wind. Now this is what's inside and outside. That we're used to. This we can relate to. It has this on the outside. And this has this on the inside. So Rukmini's saying this is inside and outside of a normal person. But Sukha's saying, but the Supreme... He has no inside or no outside. None of these things apply to him. It's not that he has whiskers and body hair and he's covered with skin. That's not Krishna's form. And he certainly doesn't have this other stuff inside him. I don't even want to repeat it. <laughs> Think of Krishna in the same you know, thought. As such, it has no divisions, no beginning or ending point. Napurvam Napi Chaparam. Next verse. Next line, I'm sorry. His body is not limited by space. Sukadev next says that the Lord's form is Purva Para. It existed before the creation and will exist after annihilation. Never was there a time that he did not exist. From the Bhagavad Gita. We're two lines. We're into the third line of the first sloka. How much philosophy is there? And this is just two slokas in a pastime of Mother Yasoda binding Lord Krishna. Imagine the audience. Imagine the depth of the intellect of who's hearing this to comprehend what Sukadev Goswami is saying. He's just singing the verses and he goes on. And you're like, wait, I need to sit down 
and get out of Sanskrit. I need to understand what did you just say here? What what does this all mean? Na chantur na bahir yashya, na purvam napi chaparam. No inside, no outside. Na purvam napi chaparam. His body is not limited by space. Purva para. It existed before the creation and will exist after annihilation. The verse goes on to say that Krishna is the universe, Jagatcha Ya, and thus not limited by any object, like a rope. Supreme cannot be bound by a rope, but yet we're seeing the Supreme being bound by a rope. Why then was she unable to recognize that Krishna could not be bound? She's not a stupid lady, Mother Yasoda. But why? Why she, could she not understand that, that, that you can't bind up the Supreme? The verse says that out of love, she thought of him as her own son, Tam Morvatmajam. All the reasons why he can't be bound in the first sloka. Now we go on to look further. The second sloka. How she bound him. So he concealed his divine opulences. All the first slokas is talking about his divine opulences. And then the second we have what? His asvarya. I mean, his first we have all his asvarya, and then in the second, these are all the re ways that that ashvarya receded to the background. So, Krishna, what? He reciprocates according to the way we approach him. The extraordinary characteristic, this is a beautiful line, the extraordinary characteristic of pure love found in the residence of Raj is that it covers Krishna's aswarya or the majesty of his godhood. Lord Chaitanya, in speaking to Rupa Goswami, says the following, The pure love of the unalloyed devotees, who has no awareness of Krishna's divine, the pure love of the unalloyed devotee has no awareness of Krishna's divine nature. Even though such a devotee may see Krishna's godly characteristics, he considers only his relationship with him to be important. The other stuff? Well, we know the pastime. The gopis are there and Krishna changed his form into Narayan. And when they saw the form, they offered obeisances and said, Oh, well, you must be omnipotent and omnipresent. You must have some good good abilities. You are God. Well, have you seen Krishna? Which way did he go? <laughs> the, the deeper a devotee's love, the thicker the covering of formal knowledge. As knowledge of majesty, Ashvarya increases... The intensity of intimacy, Madhurya, decreases, and vice versa. Sri Sukadeva Swami, after narrating this pastime, did not glorify Krishna's quality of being both limited and unlimited simultaneously. He didn't walk away from his discourse on this by going back to 
the qualities of the Supreme. Where did he go? Rather, he yearned in rapture for the mercy of Sri Krishna that Krishna had awarded to Mother Yasoda. This is he he offer he, he ends the narration by offering prayers. How can I love like that? How can I love so that all this knowledge I have of the Supreme, which I can condense into one sloka, and I have that great ability to do so, how can I get how can I push that to the background the way Mother Yasoda did? When Bhagavan reveals his formal opulence in the course of his leela, his devotees interprets it in a way that does not disrupt the flow of devotion. So we're getting given a little insight here into as the devotee develops deeper and deeper in his relationship of love with the Supreme, everything he sees in relation to the Supreme, as far as Aishvarya, begins to recede as his love develops in a particular mood, according to Sadhu Sangha, according to the association that he has. In other words, they would see something like Krishna's amazing deeds as a miracle. Oh, look, a miracle. Krishna's just killed a demon. Not that Krishna's the supreme and has, has, has easily killed a demon. Oh, look! Krishna just went outside of Agasura's body and this light in the sky entered into his body. Wow, that was far out. <laughs> so they don't think this is, this is the soul of Agasura merging and attaining liberation. It's generally the result of, of some sage giving some benediction or, or God's blessed given some blessing and we're seeing these amazing things even Brahma pray, prayed to take birth we know this as an insignificant creeper and bathe in the dust of the residence of Raj as did Shiva and Lakshmi so the verse that was also given as evidence what was the verse the verse was Lord Brahma you know, if I can take this birth in Vraj, when with this statement, acceptance of this inconceivable nature of the Supreme Person is the fundamental and essential premise required for understanding the Supreme Lord's personhood. You're never going to be able to comprehend in detail with our brain substance all of these amazing things that God can do. I mean, Brahma can't even wrap his head around it. As is evidenced in the next verse in the Brahma Mamodhan Leela, where Jiva will use that as a praman. We're never going to comprehend it that way. If we can understand this inconceivable nature of the Lord's person. He's a person and it's all these things are part of his part of his nature. Then that's spiritual life. The brain, the intellect can only take us so far. Then we need revelation. 
the heart to take us the rest of the way. Any questions? Thank you so much for your association. Bunch of copper to this job. Group of sympathy with you.